esquina de arco, golazo, gol. to the sounds of STL and the sultry voice of Santiago Beltran, who is joining us tonight. My favorite part was the Colasso! <laughs> I love the way he said it. It was wonderful. Truly out of nowhere. It was yeah, so good. Yeah, out of nowhere for sure. <laughs> Santiago, how are you doing tonight since we kind of let off with your voice and you're here? What's up, man? Oh, doing great. Doing great. I missed this last week, so excited about talking about CDSC and Nashville tonight with you guys. Indeed. Matt, what's up with you? Anything new? I like the new jersey you've got on. The, the radio can't see that, but... No, that's that's okay. It's the pride kit. Uh, it's just, you know, it's another week. It's it's I, I booked two away days this week, so riding high on that. Excited for what's to come this week and just to be with you guys. Uh, I love it. Yes, this is uh, the highlight of the week. Stuart, you, we can't see your jersey either, but we do know for a fact that you've got a baby in your lap right now. How's Felicity? Ah, <laughs> uh, she's doing great. Yeah, I've got a uh, making her debut, Felicity. She's uh, three months old today, so uh, very exciting. Very it, now, exciting. is it Felicity or is it is it Felicity? Felicity. Yeah, that, there you that, go. That was the official announcement, and that's uh -huh. what's on the birth certificate. So. <laughs> All caps. We're going with that one. Yeah, all, caps. all caps. He, he snuck it in on the birth certificate and signed it while uh, Sarah was taking a nap. No, the whole thing was planned. Pregnancy, baby, it's 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 all for the all for the social media cred. There we go. It's worth it. That's these days. That's what you do. Um, I hope I hope she agrees with you when she grows up. We'll see. Um, but yeah, you're listening to Flyover Footy. We are on the Big Five Fifty KTRS, which is what you're listening to now. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to talk about first the 1-1 draw against the LA Galaxy. We each give a few takes, and then we move on to previewing the match that you're going to be able to watch here in the next hour and a half, um, 30 minutes after this show is done. So um, I hope we get you ready well for that. Matt, why don't you lead us off with your thoughts on the, the Galaxy match? I thought it was a match that we should win. First and foremost, I, I felt that Santi and I dug deep enough into it where the opportunities were there. And it was more it was more a sense of when you have 22 shots and only six shots on target, you have to do better in making the shots on target more clinical and more dangerous. And you have to do a better job of putting more shots on target, not letting enough shots be blocked, sending shots wide. I could count probably every single one of our attackers had or should have had a fantastic shot on target. Jared Stroud, Tomas Ostrak, Aziel Jackson, uh, Indy Vasilev, Nico Joachini, all those guys had amazing looks at one point or another in the game. So I, that's my first thing is I'm a little disappointed in the the number of really opportunities that I felt we squandered. But on the flip side, I took the I took away that our back line and Roman Berkey had yet another very strong match. And in particular, our center backs, because I know we're going to get into and, and touch on the Jake Nerwinski mental mishap. But I really think that our center backs showed themselves again. Tim Parker, Lucas Bartlett, J Kyle Hebert had some great 1v1s against Douglas Costa and Roman Berkey coming up big again. 
Totally agree. Um, great article on that from Justin this week. Um, Santiago, any thoughts from you on the Galaxy game? So for me, I really liked um, the build-up for the goal. Like uh, it was a great showing of how City can be patient with the ball and have several players participate. And it was on the left side after uh, Tim Parker recovered a ball that was going long and uh, dispossessed um, Jovalic. And he had a space and he, he went with the ball all the way to midfield. And then uh, several players participated, Blom, um, Stroud, Basileb, and ended up with that cross that Nico Joachini, great, uh, great finish, great awareness, uh, great field awareness. and. Things were looking really good at that point. It's just too bad uh, that the team couldn't finish um, the game, um, maybe score another goal. But um, it's 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 soccer, and sometimes you get that second goal and put the game away. And this time it it didn't happen, and and Galaxy found a way to um, equalize it, and that's what it was. But overall, it was a, a good game. But uh, I really liked the build up on that play. Agree, yeah, and and I didn't realize the buildup was as as long as it was until um, the rewatch. I, I hadn't noticed that. Stuart, any thoughts from the game from you? I mean, I was uh, disappointed coming away with one point, especially with how poor Galaxy have been, and uh, having you know a guy like Douglas Costa, who's been such a massive bust in MLS. Uh, he he really fed off the crowd after that goal. And, uh, but if, if you allow Douglas Costa to participate in a goal against your team in MLS, you don't deserve to win. Uh, he scored four goals and he's earned $4 million. So uh, not a great track record for him. Quite the payout for him at City Park, huh? <laughs> right. Yeah, no, he, he, was, he was soaking it in. Soaking it in. But um, actually, I was slightly disappointed with... Uh, Bartlett myself actually because he gave up a pretty juicy opportunity that Berkey bailed him out on in the first half and um, I mean stats don't show it but I, I he he can't allow that but um, no one's perfect of course and opportunities happen and that's why we have Berkey uh, but hopefully against Nashville we won't have something like that because it's going to be a tough one yeah, and, and I was, I, you guys all had this theme throughout, so I'm going to continue on with it. You know, I think my thoughts after that game were that a first place team doesn't give up a goal like we did at the end there. And, you know, I know it was Jake Nerwinski, but as Stuart said, you know, Bartlett wasn't perfect. Parker hasn't been perfect, especially early in the season. Um, and, you know, Jake, you know, I just watched Nashville play a game, and the giveaway that Shaq Moore, a national team player, gave away in that game versus Toronto was the one of the most disgusting right-back giveaways I've seen all season. And, yes, Jake has given away some balls like three, four times throughout the season that have been dangerous um, for the other team, um, you know, giveaways to them for them to score a goal. But, you know, his giveaways aren't as bad as that, and I think we take his stalwartness in in defense um and even some of his contributions offensively um for this draw perhaps i don't know but you know going back to the it being 
something that a first place team doesn't do. And I think that's right. And so, you know, we've been, you know, flirting with first place, second place, third place in the West throughout the season. Um, and I really wanted to take that back. I, I guess I kind of pulled a stew in that regard where I was kind of angry after the game and I said, this isn't something we can do. But my goodness, the fact that we're an expansion team and we're in first place in the West and, um, you know, it's it's gone really well and we're going to make mistakes. I talk about parody nonstop on this show. And, you know, even some of the best teams in the league, I think everybody thinks LAFC is an amazing team. Well, they just got stomped by Houston. So it's just a weird league. And things like this happen. And even though I was angry after that game, and it is somewhat true, a first place team, someone who wants to win the league doesn't make mistakes like that late in the game. Well, it's going to happen, like like many of you said. So those were my thoughts on that. Uh, Go ahead, Matt. I was going to say Roma Berkey today or Thursday's press conference touched on that exact thing. He mentioned Mm. a couple different times how one of the things he's most impressed or most kind of in awe of the league that he he heard about, but he didn't really expect and is now kind of enjoying seeing is the parody and how you have a powerhouse like LAFC that you expect to run roughshod against the entire league. And here they've lost back to back against Houston Dynamo. And so seeing that really reinforces what you said, Phil. But one thing that I want to touch on real quick, because I think it's going to impact Nashville, is that Jake Nowinski play. And I watched it, it had to have been half a dozen times just to really understand who was at fault, what were they, what were the players trying to think. And I think two things were at play in that one, because this this cost us the three points. So I want to I want to analyze it. Hmm. It was the Leuven pass back to Nerwinski that Leuven had a tackle. And immediately upon recovering his tackle, he passed the ball into where he thought Jake Nerwinski was going to stay. Nerwinski instead made a move as if to try to receive the ball in transition down the right side. Mm. And when Leuven passed the ball back, he had to do a little quick back step to retrieve the ball. When he did that, you could see on the right side of your screen, if you rewatch it, when Leuven passes, Tomas Ostrak darts down the field and he tries to make a run as soon as he sees that we've recovered the ball. And you can tell that's a mantra of cities. That's what they do, their MO, is as soon as they recover, they they move up the field quickly. Ostrak did that. Nerwinski saw him. You could see his face was looking up, and he saw Ostrak run. So when he went back to retrieve the ball, he looked like he wanted to send it very quickly and then second-guessed himself just enough to let himself be swarmed by Galaxy. Hmm. And I think that speaks to... In Nashville, we're going to have to make some very instinctual plays. We're not going to get an opportunity to possess the ball enough to be thinking about it for three, four, five seconds. It's going to be you get the ball and you pass to where you you assume the next player is going to be and you hope that we can make those connecting passes. Good stuff there. I'm glad you uh, brought that in there, Matt. Thank you. You're listening to the Big 550. We're flyover footy. We're a podcast. Obviously, we talk about soccer in St. Louis, and that was all we're going to talk about with the Galaxy game, this last uh, game on Saturday. Now the meat of the show. We're going to talk about, we're going to get you ready for this game against Nashville, away to Nashville. Um, in fact, I mean, let's not... Let's not um, push past the big news of the week. We're going to talk about some press conference things, but I think we got to lead with the injuries of the week, right, Matt? Yeah, that that's really it. I mean, the the meat and potatoes of the press conference were updates on our players. Uh, we knew that Joachim Nilsson is still out. His recovery is getting quicker, so he's a little, little quicker pace than what they initially thought, I think, so he should be back in a few weeks, and he started to partake in team activities this week. Klaus, we found out on Thursday, will be reevaluated next week. He's still in that week-to-week mode, and he will not play against Nashville. The big news of the week is Edu Leuven apparently suffered a quad injury against the Galaxy, despite the fact that he went the full 90 against mm-hmm. the Galaxy. So Carnell's comment was that he said he felt something, and they've kept him out of training. 
they've given him treatment and they're waiting until Friday to see how he responds to treatment. So as we're recording this now, we're just hoping that his body responds better than Klaus's has been responding. Simple as that. But right now we're looking at a world in which Joao Klaus, Edu Leuven, Joachim Nilsson still, and Caden Glover all will not be available likely for Nashville. Caden Glover though, uh, a good bit of good news, he's been sent to be with the U-17s of City who are participating in MLS Next Cup with their first match being Sunday. So Caden Glover hoping to bring us home a trophy with the Academy in MLS Next Cup. Edu Leuven, we just hope that he sees the field and responds to training uh, for Nashville on Saturday. I just saw, I'm sorry if I missed that, Matt. Sometimes I have a problem with this. Santiago, I, I just saw that Schneider has been practicing with the senior team this week. Yeah, yeah, he was, uh, he was in practice today. Um, this was the first time this week that he was in practice. And um, during the press conference, we, we asked Carnell ab about him being in practice, if he was a possibility for um, Saturday's game, the roster. And, and he said, yeah, it could be a possibility. Uh, at the same time, it's not different than when we brought Johnny Klein based on his performances with CD2. And he said that Max Snyder has been strong with CD2, that um, he is one of the players uh, on the roster, even though he's loaned to uh, City 2 But yeah, he said it could be a possibility. So I think he was brought more because um, Leuven uh, being possibly out. And at the same time, you also are without Jabul Oblom, who is with South Africa's national team. So I wouldn't be surprised, depending on what happens with Leuven, to see uh, Max Snyder traveling with the team. Stuart, any developments this week, things you saw on, on Twitter, anything in the press conferences, anything you'd like to mention this week? Not really, just, uh, I mean, as as uh, kind of frustrating, bittersweet as it is, it's really exciting to see Bloom get that call up. It's uh, one of those things as an MLS fan, um, international breaks aren't, are kind of, a, they're a part of being a fan of the team. Uh, MLS because you won't get the breaks and uh, you'll miss out on players that other leagues, if you're a Premier League fan, you're maybe used to having those those windows where you aren't going to lose players. But it's uh, I'm sure Bloom is really happy to represent South Africa against Morocco and um, we should be excited for him. But it does add an extra layer to the very complicated roster rules and roster situation uh, that MLS has. Um, actually, I saw a, uh, not to go to questions, but Joseph uh, Ilif actually asked a question that I was uh, curious about and looked up while, while you guys were talking about um, uh, late scores. Um, and actually, no. Uh, City has not given up the most late scores um, as far in this season looks like uh, uh, Chicago Fire have given up the most late goals between the 76th and 90th minute at 11 and St. Louis has given up a lot with 8 but there are a few teams with more than us so um, everyone except us they didn't give us an LA goal yeah what's up with right. that <laughs> We've we've scored six, uh, but given up eight, mm. um, so we're in the red. But it's uh, not as bad as I thought it would be, actually. Yeah. You know, Stu, the Jabula Blown thing is is one thing I I think we need to separate the 
the competitiveness of our team from the personal well-being of the player a little bit too because in addition to being proud that we have a player playing for St. Louis wearing our crest who's representing his national team it's very clear especially last week listening to Blom speak how much he needed this mm. and th this is just going to be so good for his well-being first time he's been back to visit his family in months and and having knowing that he's dealt with the cultural issues and the adjustment even as he's excelled on the field it's clear in the couple times we've spoken to him that there's been an adjustment difficulty and for him to power through that on the field is is one thing and it's it's incredibly commendable but you need this reset as a player you need this familiarity the home the homeliness that comes with it and it's really encouraging to see him be able to do this and it, you hope that that it gives him a boost for the rest of the season. He comes back almost rejuvenated from a mental health aspect. And, and you just, you, you want all of this for him. Yes. On the field, but you also want it for him off the field, knowing that it, it's been a difficult adjustment. And this is something that will make him a better person all around. Absolutely. And imagine uh, getting sick, whether it was COVID or not. I can't remember what was, yeah. or it wasn't. Okay. Uh, and, you know, you were supposed to go play for your country months ago. And it not only was that ruined, but you were sick in a foreign country. You were been out with your team, your own club team. Man, what a hard time he's had here in his first season in the United States. And so, yeah, we wish him well. So cool that he's playing such a quality team in Morocco. So that works out really nicely as well. So all the best to him. Dude, just be healthy. You know what I mean? Come back healthy. That's all I ask. All right. <laughs> this is Flyover Footy. You're listening to us on the big 550 KTRS. Thanks so much for joining us. We are going to dig into some stats, some tendencies, some thoughts on the game against Nashville as well as the team of Nashville. Matt, as always, will you please get us started on that? As always, let's set the stage for the matchup. St. Louis comes into this in first place in the West with 29 points. Third place, LAFC having two games in hand on us, actually having one game in hand on us now after their midweek match. In the second place, Seattle Sounders having, we have two games in hand on them. So we're sitting in a good place from a match perspective. St. Louis with that 29 points has a nine, five and two record, nine wins, five losses, two draws with 33 goals scored and a plus 16 goal differential. Going into Nashville, important to remember that we have a 3-3-1 three, three, and one away record. So that's where we have that 50% uh, record that we talked about last week of going to the road. You just need to break even. St. Louis overall in MLS is third in goals scored, and we lead in goal differential. Atlanta and Columbus have higher goals, and that's it. Nashville, on the other hand, they come into this second place in the East with 32 points, a 9-3-5 and five record with 25 goals scored and a plus 13 goal differential. Nashville at home is 6-1-2. and two. Very stout team, very great defense, and especially good at home. A couple notables on the Nashville side, because I think a theme in this entire thing is going to be how good and defensively sound Nashville is and just how little they, they allow in their own net. So Nashville has not been uh, shut out since April 8th at home against Toronto, meaning they score consistently while they're at home. They've only allowed more than one goal to an opponent once, that April 15th matchup at NYCFC. And that was also, coincidentally, their last loss. They've had four clean sheets at home in nine matches. They have the best goals allowed in the, in the league. And Nashville and St. Louis are right up there in both goal differential save percentages. This is, I don't think, too much to say that this is the best defensive team that we will have faced all season long. A defensive team, not something St. Louis has been good against in the past, um, something I've been harping on probably too much. Santiago, anything stand out to you about Nashville or anything that Matt just mentioned? 
Yeah, it's just so impressive how good their defense is. Um, they have only allowed five goals at home and uh, only one loss against um, Cincinnati. And um, yeah, it's just impressive what, what they are doing. They also have, um, I think it's six clean sheets during the season. So, uh, and Matt was, um, Matt, I'm sure you will go into this because you even had a question about that this morning uh, on, on the save percentage uh, comparing St. Louis to, to Nashville. And I think uh, Nashville is first and St. Louis second. Or is it the other way around? Nashville's first in save percentage, St. Louis second. That is correct. And the split is like six or seven percent difference, shockingly. It's, it's yeah, it's eighty-three percent for Nashville and seventy-eight percent for St. Louis. So crazy. you're looking at a goalkeeper battle between Joe Willis, St. Louis native Joe Willis, and Roman Berkey. Adopted son of St. Louis. <laughs> we'll we'll claim him for most purposes. That's right. That's I just right, want to throw right. in one more stat and then Stuart, I want to throw to you because I know you got some storylines here for us. At least I sure hope you do based on the situation. Um, we um, are sorry, as you said, St Santiago, that Nashville is fifth in clean sheets and the people that are below are Seattle, Cincinnati, Philadelphia and Houston and these are not teams that I felt like I've been really scared going up against this team this weekend and those are not teams that we did terrible against yeah Seattle didn't go terribly well but Cincinnati was a great game Houston was a great game I guess that gave me a little hope and faith that yes they're really good they get a lot of clean sheets but they can be beaten they can you you know we're we are capable of scoring against them so that, that was just something I wanted to bring up Stuart what do you have for us today well, as uh, Matt mentioned, there's a lot of St. Louis connections with uh, Nashville, or at least there's a couple. Uh, Joe Willis, who's the uh, uh, phenomenal goalkeeper for Nashville, is a St. Louis native. Um, and um, Jack Marr, who's the now growing into his own uh, starting center back for Nashville, former second overall super draft pick. He's from Caseyville, Illinois, Altoff High School. Scott Gallagher and St. Louis FC alumni. So um, we'll see a lot of both of those guys. Uh, and we, we got a gift from Kip Keller um, earlier this year mm. as a St. Louis native. So not that I would ever wish that against Jack, but uh, if it happens, I wouldn't be too unhappy. <laughs> <laughs> but no, both of those guys are top quality guys, and it's, it's hard to cheer against a St. Louis guy ever, to be honest. I'm with you there. And uh, I, I also noticed that he got a random shout from a random account for the national team after we saw that uh, what's-his-name got called up. Now I'm blanking on his name, but you'd say it better, Stuart. Oh, yeah. Aaron Long got called up for the Gold Cup, which is basically the B team this year for the U.S. men's national team. And uh, uh, Jermaine Neal and Jack Marr are two of the names that are attracting a little bit of attention finally for U.S. national team or U.S. senior national team because both of them, I believe, have uh, youth national team experience. Um, but I, I think uh, Jack probably, if he continues on and Nashville continues on this season, he's he's getting a Camp Cupcake call up next next January. Camp Cupcake. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> the good old Monday camp. Or, uh, January camp, I mean. Same thing. Monday, January. The beginning. <laughs> January camp is the Mondays of camps. Uh, Matt, anything else you want to hit before we kind of talk things out to the end of the end of the show here? 
Yeah, I mean, the form recently, St. Louis has had uh, a decent run of form, you know, being a tying against Galaxy. We had that midweek loss against Dallas and then winning a couple home matches against Houston and Vancouver before that. The interesting thing is um, our, we technically have an unbeaten streak going because MLS counts that FC Dallas match as having happened when it was originally scheduled back in May. So technically, our last three matches have been two wins and a draw, if you're looking at the scorebook. Nashville, they've legitimately got two wins and a draw after having drew Toronto 1-1, in which they should have lost by every single measure of the of the marker, having been given a fluke goal, Randall Leal to Sean Johnson having the ball just go off of his hands right in front of him this against last week against Toronto. Before that, Nashville beat Dallas. They beat Columbus, and neither were close. They were convincing wins, and they were deep wins. So Stu touched on uh, goals allowed late. Well, you look at that Columbus game a couple weeks ago for Nashville, and Nashville just hammered them at the end of the game with two goals, and, and that's how they can continue to beat their opponents because they have the stamina to do so. Hani Mukhtar is a robot. The dude will just sprint the entire match, and he consistently finds ways to create late in the game. Hani Mukhtar, we're going to touch on it a little bit, but leads the league in every every shooting type category, goals, shots, shots on target, uh, and leads his own team in assists. The, the dude is just a monster that we're going to have to deal with. But going back real quick, some interesting stats that I have on, we touched on the save percentage. Um, Nashville also has the lowest goals against per 90 at 0.71 in the league. So on average, they're allowing less than a goal per 90 minutes every single time they go out there. Long passes is so we, we touched on the save percentage with Berkey and Willis long passes. Uh, Joe Willis is second in the league with 128 Roman Berkey fourth in the league with 113. These guys distribute the ball. So we're going to see a lot of aerial battles, aerial duels that are going to be very important when we get to the styles and the keys to the game. That's going to be important to touch on. But also it's going to be it's nice to know for us that Walker Zimmerman is not going to be playing in this game. Walker Zimmerman, uh, along with Who's the other guy? Anibal Godoy, who's with Panama. Two other starters are not available for Nashville because of uh, Nations League duty. With Walker Zimmerman, you would hope that they might be a little poor form without him. Not the case, unfortunately. Nashville is 3-0-1, three wins, no losses, one draw this year mm -hmm. without Walker Zimmerman. So to the Jack Mayer point, they're just as good with and without Zimmerman. Yeah, that's interesting. And I know their, their backup for Zimmerman went down in that last game um, and the backup to him looked just fine for the rest of the yeah. game. So yeah, I'm with They've you on that. They've got the center back sense. depth that we think we have now. So it's, it's continue. It just seems like it's a, it's going to be a blow for blow thing. We have great goalkeeping. They have great goalkeeping. We have good center back depth. They have good center back depth. We have quality fullbacks that have been shown mistakes made recently. So do they, we have an all-star MVP candidate midfielder win healthy. They have a, a reigning MVP golden boot winner. You know, it's all of these, like, you could see the, the parallels all over the field with these two teams. Yeah, and, and let's talk. We have some time here. And first of all, let me just uh, also remind you that we are Flyover Footy. We're a podcast for St. Louis soccer. You're listening to us on the big 550 KTRS. Thank you so much for joining us. And um, I think now we're going to get into some conversation. We don't usually have so much time. So we have a, just a few minutes here to kind of talk about, you know, how do we attack Nashville in your guys' opinion? Because with all the guys missing, do you think we like double down and just defend out, which doesn't sound like a St. Louis uh, City thing to do? 
like a lot of people are arguing, you know, three in the back, five in the back, which I think there's a difference in this kind of a game. Um, you know, do we put Hebert at left back uh, again to kind of have a more defensive left back? Um, or do we press harder and just, you know, try to athletic our way through this game? Lots of options out there. A lot of stuff on Twitter, a lot of good stuff. I think I saw one person say, just put all backups in and rest the starters this this game. And then you what? can have all the all the starters for the Wednesday oh. game. Um, you know, and maybe you get Klaus back or Leuven back. Um, it's not an idiotic thought, but I, I, what do you guys all think about all of those? I thought that was quite the take. <laughs> I, I think, and but but more so, I think it it really discounts how competitive we can be. We don't know what we look like without Leuven, so there's a just a massive uh, fear factor with that because the assumption is what's going to happen without Leuven is what happened the first couple of games without Klaus, and. I don't know if it's going to be as cut and dry as that because a lot of the weaknesses that Nashville has tend to be along the outside of the box. They allow a lot of long balls in. They're a little prone to allowing some 20, 25-yard shots that find net, find target. So that seems right up Leuven's alley. But we also have a lot of a lot of guys like Stroud, Ostrock, Alm. Those are guys who are really good with some of their long shots. So there is opportunity there to really expose Nashville, even without a guy like Edu Leuven. And when it comes to defending, yes, we could go three center back. We could go with a five-man back line. I tend to think that, at least to start, Carnell's going to go a little more traditional because we know how effective Kyle Hebert can be at left back. If you're going to go three center backs, that's, that's kind of with the presumption that you're willing to push one, or one forward a little bit and help in the midfield. Because if you go five in the back, you're obviously stealing from some other part of the field and against Seattle, which was the time I remember us running a five in the back or three center backs the most it did not work. And, and whether it was, we were unfamiliar with it or we just were broken down by their attack. To me, there's too much risk in doing that right off the bat. It's more of a tactical substitution based maneuver that we can fall back into based on personnel on the field. But I like more, Keep it simple. Run Indiana Vasilev and Miguel Perez in the midfield. Run Jared Stroud. Run Celio Pompeu, Rasmus Alm, Nico Joachini. Those guys up front. I'm spoiling my lineup at the end. But I think <laughs> it's a lineup that we're familiar with, we're used to. We've seen proven success from both Perez and Vasilev in the midfield. These guys aren't – it's not Miguel Perez from Austin. He's seen a lot of time. He's been competitive against some of the MLS's best. And Indiana Vasilev has – a lot of experience in that part of the field. And yes, Vasilev's better position is the 10, but that just goes to show how versatile and quality of a player he is that he can also be, in this case, our best option in the midfield. And we still have quality attackers. I'm comfortable with Jared Stroud and Rasmus Alm running the wings up front. I'm comfortable with how Salio and Nico have been playing off of each other and how they're able to create space. Salio getting a lot wider up on the left-hand side if he needs to. We can find the space with that by not dropping so much back and I really don't like the idea of just giving this to Nashville because they're not that good of a team to where it's an automatic loss just because Edu Leuven isn't in the lineup. Stuart, I want to go to you next on this one. What do you think? You can't. MLS is such an even, or there's so much parity in MLS that you can't just play for a draw or play for a loss any any match. It's just ridiculous if you try to do that. And like we said before, LAFC lost to Houston. Um, we Twice. lost to Seattle. Yeah, and uh, Seattle is a great team. 
but um they blew us out we we got played off the field by the rapids but we got to draw we got to draw out of it so no you 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 set up as best as you can and uh you play for the win i i don't think carnell's gonna come into this match and have our our guys with our tails between the leg i mean they're gonna they're gonna be up for it they're gonna fight they're gonna scrap uh you you want a guy like stroud out there just going crazy i mean he's creates chaos um and i expect a big game specifically from stroud um it just feels like the type of game where he's gonna be a madman out there um perez i he's a great kid and uh he has a lot of talent but um I don't know how to feel. I, I think, Matt, you're a little more optimistic about him than I am for this match specifically. But he he has a lot of ability and a lot of talent. And um, maybe we'll see Nico for, shut up the haters once more with another wonder goal. Oh, I know I would love to see that. Uh, Santiago, any thoughts on how you would attack Nashville? Actually, before you speak, I, I'm going to be selfish here and say... I do not endorse this idea of going easy on Saturday. I just want to make sure that's clear. You go for it every game. But I was surprised how much I didn't hate the idea at the thought of maybe getting Klaus and Leuven back in the next game. But anyway, thank you for letting me do that. Santiago, what do you think? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I wouldn't just go with, okay, easy lineup and think about Wednesday. No, this is not what this team is about. And um, yeah. Will be missing Edo Lubin possibly, uh, but Carnell always speaks about this um, next man up mentality. And as far as the lineup, I will keep it simple with what has been working. Keep the same uh, backline, and then um, something similar to what Matt has, uh, Miguel Perez and Vasilev uh, as uh, defensive midfielders. And then you have a lot of talent um, in in the offensive midfield and. Um, Ostrak, um, Stroud, you have Celio. Um, so there are a lot of options there, even though they're going to have to uh, let Indiana Basilev uh, basically forego what he was doing really well, which was playing as a 10 and, and find another option. But I'm confident that, that Thomas Ostrak uh, can take uh, that place and, and then Indiana Basilev will contribute on defense. But it's going to be it's going to be a tight game. Um, Nashville, uh, as we were talking earlier, has only allowed more than one goal once and um, very strong defensively. But I think um, City will compete uh, with the lineup it it has. Um, but yeah, I will keep it simple. Um, I think that left back position for now is uh, Kyle Hebert. Um Maybe when we start getting uh, some congestion in the schedule, we we may see uh, more of John Nelson, but I think for this game, it's going to be Kyle Heaver again. Yeah, and if I can just kind of throw in, like, the, the three-back thing, I'm not big on it. I'm kind of with you guys on the formation and putting Vasilev where you guys have said. I'm, I'm in on that because Vasilev does spray the ball around like Leuven does. And, and without him in that spot, I don't see that happening. And I think that's vital to our attack, um, switching the play and finding guys in space on the wings especially. Uh, but the thing about the three-back system is that if you're worried about Mukhtar, it might be nice to have someone like Tim Parker just jump up 
and just knock him out and get the ball away from him at any given moment throughout the game. And I think he could do that. In fact, I think he'd be very good at doing that. So that'd be an interesting wrinkle if, if it was chosen. I don't know if I would choose to base my team around one person or my tactical plan around one person. That's the reason I kind of shy away from that. Um, but, you know, I love what everything you guys said. And I think, like, again, you, you, you got to, like, of course, everyone throughout the week is going to be thinking about that designated team thing. And can we do this without Klaus and Leuven at worst? And you just think about, like, the way that we play. We have so many guys that know the system and can get in there. Maybe we won't get you know, a 40 yard shot that goes into the corner of the goal. Maybe we won't get, you know, these crazy goals that Klaus is, is capable of. Um, but we can, we've seen that this team can grind out wins and grind out goals that everyone thinks we don't deserve. Um, that I think everyone here now believes that we do deserve them. And, and city does work hard for those. So those are all my thoughts. You know, I'm not sure what's going to happen, but I'm excited for the decisions that Carnell has here. One thing I want to add on the the midfield and positioning is even with Leuven playing, who do we think would have been his partner in the midfield? Because to me, the answer is Miguel Perez, because Edu Leuven is the box to box. He's the number eight. He's the guy who moves forward just as much as he helps back. We need we need a six. We need a guy who's defensive minded, who stays in that part of the field. And when Blom has been hurt, when Blom's needed, uh, has moved or had a sub, who's been that player? It's it's Perez. That's that's option A after Blom for the number six. I will say that I've never seen Perez play without Leuven on the field. That's true. So that that's the one I was true. like, man. But my point is, yeah. my point is, so if Leuven can go, Perez still starts and he starts alongside Leuven. Mm. The thing about Vasilev is he shifts back because Leuven's out, not because of anything right. else. It's it's if if Leuven can go, he's in the lineup with Perez in the midfield, and Indy yeah. stays up front. Absolutely. If Leuven can't go. Indy has to slide back because he's the only other option beyond Akil Watts, Max Schneider, and you can talk about Aziel Jackson, but he hasn't played the position since preseason, and that's the only time he's ever played that position. And it was no, I, I wouldn't take Jackson there, but I think no. Watts originally was the plan for that backup spot. Watts played 60 minutes the other day against Austin too. And so. Vasilev's shown, shown shown so much position this year we've done we, we've won just as much as we've uh, anything else with him in that position he he hasn't been the reason we've lost any game in this in the central midfield mm. but the thing to me I, honestly like the, the that those roster moves are one thing it's what they're going to do when they're on the field is another thing to me and it's all about Hani Mukhtar like let's not even let's call it spade a spade their entire offense runs through him talked about he's a league leader in in goals he's a league leader in shots he leads their own team and assists if he's not scoring, he's facilitating the scoring. It all runs through Mukhtar. And so being aware, it's not just tacti uh, being tactical for one single player, but it's being aware of where he is at all times on the field. He's just as good in transition as he is on set pieces and once you have possession in the final third. The Nashville's overall stats, especially their passing stats, are middling in the entire league. Total passes, key passes, passes into the final third in the penalty area. It's all it's all middle of the of the league so they're not overly impressive in any one of those aspects yes they're a great team in taking set pieces and corners they're sixth in the league in corner kicks taken they're they're second in set piece goals you know all of these things they they are great in when they have their their moments but otherwise it all runs through Hani Mukhtar their their second leading goal scorer is Fafa Pico with four and Mukhtar is 10 hmm. like if you can shut down Hani Mukhtar somehow what, no matter how your lineup looks, you're going to be in good position. It's just the fact that nobody's figured out how to do that this year. Right. 
<laughs> maybe, hey, maybe City will, yeah. will figure it out. Absolutely. Um, Nashville is coming uh, on a nine-game undefeated streak, and at some point that has to end, and maybe City will be the team. And did that. Carnell was talking a little bit about the game this morning, and um, he was asked about playing Nashville and Hani Mukhtar and a team uh, that is uh, one of the top, top teams on the Eastern Conference. And he was like, yeah, it's going to be a, a great game. And um, that the team was excited about playing a team like Nashville and that playing a team that on paper is uh, the favorite and that has so many so many weapons and, and does so much with Mukhtar that they go in, into Nashville with kind of a, some freedom and uh, could spoil the party. So I like that attitude. Santi, one of the things you said, Nashville on a nine-game unbeaten streak, the last time Nashville lost at home was March 25th. The last time St. Louis won on the road, March 25th. Ooh, interesting. Mm. Good stat. Uh, or fact. That's more of a fact. Uh, <laughs> we only got a few more minutes. I'm kind of, um, I'm not sure what we should do. I don't know if we have time to throw in more. Uh, lineups? Yeah, let's do official lineups and predictions, and I think that'll be good. Actually, yes, that's be, that'd be perfect. Stuart, you haven't talked in a while. Can you lead us off on that? Uh, I, I do agree as uh, much as I am a little trepidatious about uh, Perez. I do think it's going to be Perez Vasilev uh, in the midfield. Um, I think Alm, Stroud, Giacchini up top, um, Hebert, uh, Parker, Bartlett, and Nerwinski along with uh, Berkey and goal. I think you were missing a player there. Yeah. All right. Who am I missing? But uh, the the lineup or the matchup I'm really excited about is actually Celio attacking uh, Shaq Moore, Shaq Moore mm -hmm. the right back for Nashville. So I think that'll be an interesting one. He can uh, be Shaq Moore is pretty good at tackling, but he fouls a lot, and yes. Celio is good at being fouled and drawing <laughs> fouls. So um, that's one I'm keeping an eye on. I like the way you phrased that, Matt. What do you think, man? I'm going to pick up right where Stu left off because I'm staring at one of my keys to the game, which is get through on the left side where Nashville's been weak and showing a propensity to seed possession. So I, I love the Celio Pompeo call out because that is I'm, I'm picturing in my mind while he's talking what I'm thinking. Roman Berkey and net Hebert Bartlett Parker Nerwinski backline Miguel Perez Indiana Vasilev in the midfield Jared Stroud Rasmus Alm left and right and then Celio Pompeo and Nico Joaquin up front. Okay. Santiago, your turn. All right. I have something similar. Um, so, uh, Berkey, Nerwinski, Barlett, Parker, Hebert, then Paris and Basilev. And then I have Rasmus Alm, Thomas Ostrak, Jerry Stroud, and then Nico Joachini at top. Although I was like, it's like oh, I should put Celio, but at the end, uh, I have Celio coming in the second half and using all his speed and uh, to exploit that towards the end of the game. I mean, either way, you're going to see a lot of Salio, Tomas Ostrak, Aziel Jackson. Mm -hmm. Whether Tomas Ostrak or Salio starts, you're going to see all three of them, and whichever two don't start are going to be incredibly key in the, the later stages of the match. 
I've been trying to be creative and think about what a five in the back would look like. And so I'm just going to do my best. There's no good way to do it at this point with Lu- <laughs> if, if Leuven is out. But, um, you know, let's do the main three, Bartlett, Hebert, and Parker in the back, Nerwinski, and let's say Nelson on the left, um, just to give it a shot. And then I don't think it'll be a 5-3-2. I just don't. So let's just like line it up like a 5-4-1, and we'll put Perez and Vasilev next to each other. And then Alm and Stroud with Joachini up top. You could even warp into like a 3-4-3 if you want to go really attacking, but... This, that's a fun one, right? At least we attacking got something wise, different. That, attacking wise, it, it's a three-four-three. Three. Yeah, it has to be. Yeah, so I, I could dig it. And maybe Celio is in instead of Nelson if you want to get absolutely psycho with attack. <laughs> don't don't forget versatility in that too. So watch out for later stages of the game. If we shift to something like that, it could very well see Celio and or Jared Stroud fall back into a wing back role as well. Yeah, I know. I've been wanting to see Stroud fill in with that if we were going to try to play, you know, with with a wing back as an attacking wing back. So mm-hmm. I want to see it someday. Uh, I don't know if we will. Uh, but good lineups, guys. Let's do a quick um, round of what do we think the score will be, and we're out of here. Matt, you first. It's not what I picked, what I had in the notes. That was from last week. Um, I think we're going to have a 1-1 draw. Stuart? I'm normally the pessimist, but I'll go 2-1 win with a late goal for St. Louis. Nice. Santiago? I like that. I also have 1-1. Matt, I was surprised when I saw what you had in the notes. I was like... <laughs> Wow. Don't read that. Mystic. That's from last week. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, also 1-1 one 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 is what I, what I have. Well, if Stu's not going to be the pessimist, I will. I'm going to say 2-1 loss to Nashville. And uh, the benefit here is that I am never right. So maybe I can reverse curse us. And don't forget that this is the radio portion of a longer podcast. We take a break for a few seconds, and then we come back and do what we call the wind down, which is just a little bit more laid back conversation, a little more random, a little more long form. If you'd like to listen to that, just check out our podcast on anywhere you get your podcasts. And if you guys are, while you're at it, if you could leave a review or like, subscribe, all those things, that would absolutely help us a ton. That's it from us, everybody. Thanks for listening. We're Flyover Footy. You're listening to us on the big 550. KTRS. We'll talk to you guys on Monday with Flyover Fallout, which is going to be a breakdown of the game we just talked about. Enjoy it. Have a good night, everybody. Bye-bye. Welcome to the wind down, Matt. There it is. It's officially begun. <laughs> Hope you're listening to some calming and soothing jazz tones, which has become, I'm sorry, but it's kind of my favorite part of re-listening to the podcast. It definitely I, puts you in a mood on the weekend, that's for sure. Yeah. I really listen to improve myself, everyone. I'm not that narcissistic. just want to make sure that's, that's clear. Um... We start with questions, and this is a fun one. And this first one is Mud Puppy Ultras gave us a question, and it says, "Now at the halfway point through the season, has anyone, has anything regarding the city's overwhelming support of the club actually surprised you? And do you think the city's embrace of the MLS side has advanced interest in bringing NWSL to St. Louis?" Mm-hmm, great question. What do you guys think? I'll start. I would say no from the support of the city of St. Louis. I think 
I think we all expected the fans to show up and show out the first season. The winning has kept it going at a at a pace that nobody could really imagine the the from a an energy perspective. Mm-hmm. Like yes, the the sellouts, but the standing in the lower bowl throughout the noise that occurs. I was talking I was talking this week to a, a guy. Oh, actually, it was a Hoffman Brothers call that I had at my house. These guys are Blues season ticket holders, and they're like, "Yeah, we went to our first city game because." Hoffman is a sponsor and never seen, never expected anything like it. Not just from a soccer thing, but it's, it beat the 2019 blues run. It beat cards world series and it is on a different level. And I was, I was kind of shocked to hear that from another human being talking to me. Like Mm -hmm. this isn't me (laughs) hyping it up. This isn't me and my positivity, just espousing how amazing it sounds because I'm all bought in. This is coming from somebody who, isn't a soccer fan and doesn't know me. They don't have any reason to think that I would care other than they've seen city flags and scarves in my house. Hmm. So the uh, NWSL part, I I think the plan is always to get a team. I'm still like, you're not going to hear anything about it until something is concrete, but I'm of the opinion that has always been in the plans because if you're, you have the female ownership aspect, you have the soccer for all aspect you know that women's soccer is just as powerful in this area as men's soccer and boys' soccer, and the opportunity will come. Carolyn Kendall has said that they want to get this off the ground first. So in the middle of the first season is not going to be the time we hear about it. Hmm. It's going to be after the first season. It's going to be the next round of expansion that NWSL has. And the fact that the NWSL is having competition in their league structure, so USL is now having that Super League form to compete against them for division one status is going to be an extra boost to get some of the bigger markets on board and to grab the soccer hotbeds as they can. So you may see a bidding war in cities because of this occurring on the women's side of the fence. And I think St. Louis is ripe to take advantage of that. I think I saw a joke about like the Oakland team moving to Vegas and someone saying something like should have started an NWSL team. <laughs> if they wanted fans or something like that, uh, it's growing. It's doing really well. Stuart, what do you think about all of that? You're the uh, St. Louis shill in, in the in the building right now. Uh, no, not at all surprised with the uh, support that City's gotten in the first year, um, and not. I'm I'm a massive USL fan and St. Louis FC fan, but um, given how much St. Louis FC merch. I saw around South City hmm. uh, from 2015 to 2020. It wasn't a surprise that from 2018 through, you know, 2023, I see just city merch everywhere. And wherever I go in South City, I, I you know, Cardinals are obviously the biggest team in St. Louis, but city is the team that i think is the darling of st louis right now at least the city and the immediate suburban areas so um i can't speak for what's going on in uh new Melly, uh but <laughs> at least here in Targrove south it's uh this is definitely city territory but as far as nwsl yeah i agree with that uh it just makes sense for it to happen um and I think that was a conversation that probably happened very, very early on among the ownership. Uh, but 
even some of the uh, controversies they've had might have pushed back a launch date for that. Um, and if you want to maybe separate from a standpoint of you don't want to, you want to make sure everything is completely on the up and up before you launch something. But I fully believe that, of course, if an NWSL team launches in St. Louis, it's going to be uh, straight laced and absolutely awesome. It's going to be bonkers is what it's going to be. What do you think, Santiago? So same thing. I'm, I'm not surprised by, by the support. But what has been surprising to me, and maybe for you guys it hasn't, but uh, just the, the atmosphere, the environment at the stadium uh, has been amazing. And same thing, people I talk to, oh, I went to my first game, it was amazing. I wasn't expecting anything like that. Even had a coworker that she basically said, I have been to a World Cup, I have been to games in Europe, and um, the environment here at City Park was top-notch and uh, is comparable to, to any of those environments. So that's, that does tell a lot about the experience in, in St. Louis. It does. And, uh, and, um, oh, and you, NWSL, sorry, I didn't want to <laughs> leave you hanging there. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's a matter of when, but I think it's going to happen. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you guys, when it happens, do you think it will be uh, like City, like CDSC, or do you think it will mm. be a, a different name? Uh, what What do you think? Different. Different? Yeah. It has to be different. It has to be different. It, they, well, in NWSL, they skew more towards the, the exciting, the flashy names, mm -hmm. and those are really sticking. You could look to now I'm not pointing to who the ownership is, just the fact that they shared a same ownership in Portland. So they have the Timbers and the Thorns. And so you could play off of something like that, like you could have a playoff of City somehow. But I definitely think it will be its own unique identity. Well, we have powers. Casey Current on the other side of the state. Mm. We could do mm -hmm. current and confluence. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there but I don't want to take a name just because Kansas City has a name. I don't want to play off of it. I mean, it, it's not just because of KC, but St. Louis got its yeah. location because of where the river's connected. So otherwise, we never would have had a, you know, a city or a settlement here. So confluence versus current. A lot of the names that I think came up from the original city branding that people idea, ideas people had, like confluence, like gateway, I think those might be a little more well served for NWSL teams. Mm -hmm. I like Gateway. I love Confluence. I always have, but I've also. I think I was pretty hard on uh, Gateway with uh, the original naming. Are we yeah, every once in a while, like every month or two? I'll think, my God, thank you. We're not St. Louis United. Thank goodness. I'm just. That's all I'm happy about is that. Is thank goodness that never happened. It felt like it was going to happen for a while. Yeah, St. Louis United. So well yeah, done. No. Well done, everybody. Yeah. Uh, Joseph Iliff asks, does City keep pushing the ball forward with lots of vertical passes when there are three games in the next week in the heat of summer? Good question. I don't see how they stop that. That's <laughs> a key part of who they are as, a, as an offense. And 
things don't work when we try and make big switches. Things don't work when we try and possess the ball and move it up with small, small horizontal passing. The thing about the summer is Carnell has addressed that in the past. In and it's it's been in relation to both. How do we keep a vertical offense and how do we keep pressing throughout the long St. Louis summers and the long heat? And the answer was more tactical in nature for both of those. So we, we've seen even recently, and I've, I've asked a question about Nico Joachini and, and push points today on Thursday's press conference. And it, it kind of speaks to this where it's not an all out press that they have. It's targeted there. You're not going to, you're not going to swarm the ball every single place it goes. You're not going to follow it with two guys. You're going to be intentional with when you start your press. And so you'll see our attackers. And I mentioned this on fallout with Santi, you'll see our attackers, Joachini or Klaus, they'll initiate a movement. And when they do, everybody else follows suit. That's when you start, whether it's Joachini on the keeper or on the left back or the right back. So watch guys like, Willis and Shaq Moore, when they have the ball deep in their own field, you might have that initiation of a press and the same thing kind of. So flipping it back to Joseph's question is you'll have those runs. Like I mentioned, Tomas Ostrak made that run right after we re-secured possession against Galaxy. That's the kind of vertical passing. I think you'll see a lot more often where the, the, the Gagan pressing and quick counter attacks that begin once you regain possession. And that, to me, is a much more targeted approach to the vertical passing, where Ostrock didn't go try to create space in that scenario when Leuven recovered it, went to Nerwinski, who lost it. Ostrock didn't try to create space around Leuven to receive the ball and then make quick passes up. He just started sprinting down the field. And he's not always sprinting. He's waiting for the opportunity to regain possession. And that's kind of one of those points, is as soon as we regain possession, you'll like flip a switch and you'll you'll sprint up the field, you'll go for the long ball, but it doesn't happen often. And by doing that, I think you're able to maintain a level of stamina throughout the game on top of the fact that it's always our attackers who sub out. The reason that we have mm-hmm. depth up front is we sub out Stroud after 70 to 80 minutes every single game. We sub out Asalio Pompeo, we sub out Erasmus Alm, and these guys are getting rest so that they're fit for the next week when they got to do it again. Completely agree. I, I, that last thing was one of the things I wanted to say. What do you guys think about that, Santiago Stewart? Yeah, definitely. Uh, you have seen that that change that the team uh, picks the moments when when it presses, when it wants to go long balls, and um, it's been more patient uh, with the ball at times. So it picks their moments, and the team is picking the moments when when to press and when to do different things. And I think that's, as Matt said, that's how you maintain stamina in the heat of the summer. You you are doing different things and choosing your moments and that's key. And if we're tired, we still haven't hit up the hottest part of the summer still though. Thankfully with league's cup, we'll miss a month of it, but, Mm, or unless we win league's cup, then we play through the heat of it, but we'll see. And the thing is, we're not the only team playing through the heat of the summer. Mm -hmm. I'll remember a couple weeks ago when Tim Parker spoke to us and somebody asked about the St. Louis summer heat. And it was right before the Houston Dynamo match. (laughs) And Parker couldn't help but laugh when the comparison was made to Houston and St. Louis. Is is this Mm. the hottest summer you've played in? They just laughed because no, there are hotter. There are hotter cities in America with MLS teams that have to deal with this. And they've more often than not been successful in various seasons. So you manage it properly. You know, the, our, our strength and fitness 
departments in our training team, they know what is upcoming. They know how to manage these guys. They've done a good job so far, and there's no reason to think they won't continue. It's not the heat. It's the humidity, Tim Parker. <laughs> we'll have to ask him if that's true or it's not. It's very, very humid in Houston. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. I, I don't, water. Yeah. There's Sun's a reason why water. it's one of the worst cities in America. I'm sorry, Houston. But Oh, it is? He, I didn't think it would be humid. Is there a river there or something? Or Oh, Houston's right by the Gulf. Oh, yeah. yeah. Houston yeah. and uh, Galveston. Right okay. I think Houston is one of the most humid next to maybe like Baton Rouge and Mobile in the country. I guess so, I don't think about yeah. the fact that the Gulf is so hot, you don't get a cool breeze off of it. Like the Atlantic. But yeah, definitely for Tim Parker, St. Louis is probably nothing compared to Houston. Yeah, surely. <laughs> Um, here's a, this is a good one that I've been actually excited to talk to you guys about, even though it's, it's a really, it's not a fun one. Um, doc one Oh four, eight, four on YouTube asks, Owen O'Malley is reported to have multiple disciplinary related suspensions. Does anyone know what's going on? Uh, I think the answer is no, but what'd you guys feel about that, about that happening? It's a, it's a breaking of team rules, whatever that means. And then they're definitely not open to what kind of rules he broke or actions he took. But that's that's been confirmed by a couple of different sources. Uh, Tom Timmerman had a good article that mentioned that in the Post-Dispatch. But beyond that, it's just concerning that you have a young guy fresh out of college from Creighton, drafted first in the first round in Super Draft, is a Generation Adidas player, and you're you're going through those. And we know that our team has a very high standard for their caliber of player and what they expect. They have a they they run a tight ship and they expect their players to be upstanding citizens, to be good people on and off the field, and they expect them to uphold themselves and whatever that whatever that relates to with Owen, it wasn't there at least a couple times this year. And we saw Owen not a part of City Two as a result. He definitely hasn't cracked City yet. And we saw him back with City 2, thankfully, this week in a sub role. So you just have to hope that a corner will be turned, reality will set in, and the team will help him through it, whatever he's going through. Yeah, and we know that um, City rated him, Lutz and Bradley rated him as their number <sighs> one choice, regardless of uh, where they picked. So they were happy to pick him in the eighth spot, I believe. Was it ninth? Eighth. Or ninth. They did say. um, Yeah, so they they rated him highly, but it was one of those things where when you see uh, CJ Fodry scored yesterday for Austin too, and he was the consensus number one overall pick going into the draft, and he dropped a lot. Uh, But MLS is a little bit different than other sports where it's far more likely that you get cut loose earlier than in um, other leagues. So I don't think City will give up on Owen O'Malley yet, but a guy like Lucas Bartlett, he was gone before the end of the season last year from, from North Texas, and their loss was our game, and uh, hopefully Owen O'Malley leaving wouldn't be a similar situation for another team but uh hopefully he realizes that he probably will get one big good shot at mls and he whatever is going on he 
figures it out, works through it with City 2, and next year is getting minutes for City. Yeah, hopefully he will figure it out and turn it around. Uh, even uh, just thinking about it, maybe a month ago, maybe longer, there was a week where he was training with with City. He was given an opportunity to, to train with the first team, and he was starting with City too. And and Carnell on some of his um, interviews has said, yeah, like O'Malley is like we have to develop him and. Hmm. That's why he's spending a lot of time with City too. So hopefully, whatever is going on, he, he realizes that this is a big opportunity and and um, takes advantage of being part of the organization and and hopefully he can he can turn the page and um, start working towards uh, first performing with City too and then uh, getting an opportunity to be with the first team uh, next year. I hate when guys are super talented and have an amazing opportunity and then something bad happens. I don't know the story there, so I don't even know. You know, we can't say that he's uh, messing up superbly. But, um, you know, like you said, Stuart, if the guy's got an opportunity, you don't get a lot of chances at MLS. And so it'd be really nice for him to really take advantage of it and not screw it up. Um, Matt. Would you, I know we missed a lot of your notes. Is there anything you'd like to catch us up on uh, in this oh, segment here? Yeah. So I actually enjoyed the fact that we got to talk through a lot of stuff. But uh, there's, there's a bit of news that just dropped that we can cover here in a few minutes. Because mm. by the time this releases, it will have been dissected across the Twitter sphere if you want to look at what's going on there. But I will go back to the Nashville-St. Louis styles because I, I think it's important to look at uh, we usually get to in the the main part, the KTRS part, which is that we know St. Louis is the most direct and the fewest passes per sequence that they have. Nashville is, again, in the middle of the pack in that area. So I mentioned earlier Nashville and their passing, they, they're, they're not stats heavy in any of this. They play the ball through Mukhtar, period, end of story. But... But as far as are they are they a possession based team? Are they a direct team? Do do they pass it? Do they keep it? They they do it all kind of like they are very situational in how they navigate through their midfield. If you look at who their their best passer is or guy with the most passes, it's Daniel Lovitz, their left back. He leads their team in passes into the final third and into the penalty area. So we're, we're, when you're thinking about our fullback conversation in Johnny Nelson, Kyle Heber, Jake Nerwinski moving up on the field, theirs do the exact same thing in their four ba- in their four man back line. So they leave Jack Mayer back there. They leave Walker Zimmerman or whoever ends up being their other center back. And their fullbacks will push up. Daniel Lovett's number two, their left back being one of those key players. And Nashville is actually lower than St. Louis in a stat called build-up attacks, which is the number of open play sequences that contain 10 or more passes and either ends in a shot or has at least one touch in the box. Hmm. So they don't build up a lot of their plays. They're, they don't have more than 50% possession. They're, they're about around what St. Louis has. They have 47% average possession. So the, it's going to be interesting to see how that, how that kind of breaks down because I could easily see a scenario in which... Nashville is so defensively sound that they force St. Louis to make switches and we end up with a 53, 54% possession if we're not careful about those first touches and being very mindful of what we're going to do with the ball when we first receive it. 
it's getting getting the ball into like an Indiana Vasilev or a, a Jake Nerwinski, and they don't know what to do with it, and so they dribble the ball with their feet, they switch it around, they send it over, and we just have to we we try to break down what end, ends up being a low block. If we take advantage of the ball in transition like we we are adept at, we won't get into those scenarios, but we have to be quick. We have to really think about not just how we're going to our counterattacks, but we have to be very clinical in that. And that left side of the field, we talked about Shaq Moore earlier. Uh, St. Louis and Nashville like to control a lot of the same parts of the field. You look at the defensive third in the middle for both teams. We, we like to possess the ball around that area. So your Berkeys, your Parkers, your Willises, your Mayers. On our left flanks, we're about average uh, for, for St. Louis anyway. And then we seed possession on our right-hand side. They seed, they see possession on their right-hand side, meaning Shaq Moore. We seed possession on our left-hand side, meaning Kyle Hebert, Johnny Nelson. <laughs> and this is a cumulative throughout the, throughout the whole year. So if you think of the Vancouver game with uh, Julian Gressel, how deep he got when he was going against Johnny Nelson, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about where those parts of the field are where the, the, the battles are fought. And for St. Louis, it's, it tends to be in our uh, defensive left side on our left back. For Nashville, it tends to be their defensive right side with Shaq Moore. So there are opportunities for Jared Stroud and Tomas Ostrock when they're in those roles to take them in the attacking third and work their way into the box. Indiana Vasilev, I would love to see him with the same kind of opportunity because he's so dangerous from afar. And then when we're talking about how Salio Pompeu can really make a difference. Stu mentioned this at, uh, earlier is I want to see him back to a position of wide left and vertical. Santi, if you remember talking about the passing network uh, for a couple games ago, it was Salio like on an island that, yeah, t- that yeah. high left. And you had you had like Rasmus Alm, Nico Joachini and Nadina Vasilev all bunched up together there in the mid mid right. That's a that's a scenario where we could easily come out on top if we do that to them where it's Salio and Salio v. Shaq Moore, and we get a bubble together just outside the box and create create some space there. It, I don't know. That Those are the kinds of things that I look to pockets of the field and think, where can we be the most dangerous and what can we take advantage of? I like that shout with uh, Celio. It's really cool, especially when Leuven's in the game. It was really smart to put a man with nimble feet um, getting the ball on an island in the corner, uh, likely getting fouled or being able to get oh, around yeah. his, his uh, opponent. So I like that. Um, you mentioned, uh, oh no, I can't remember anyway. Any, any other thoughts on what Matt said? I'm sorry. I had something real good and I can't remember. Oh, it was the Toronto. I watched them play Toronto. Toronto pressed a decent amount. Not a lot, but every once in a while, I would say there were three to five turnovers on the Nashville side in their own half. And I was really shocked to see that. Um, so they can be had in that regard. So the other stat on that is, well, first of all, I'll say Toronto is a pretty good blueprint to follow because they should have had a clean sheet on Nashville. That, I wasn't joking <laughs> yeah. when I said that was the flukiest goal ever. Yeah. People give St. Louis crap for back pass goals. This goal by Nashville is so much more egregious in what Sean Johnson allowed in that. And oh it should have been a clean sheet from Toronto. They should never have gone away with the point on that. But the other stat that I had is that there's a, an error stat that is kept, and Nashville has zero errors on the entire season, which is mistakes that lead directly to an opponent's shot. Mm-hmm. So back passes, wow. Nashville Very doesn't impressive. allow them. Yeah. Like we, we talk about the clinical capabilities of Nashville and their defense and the save percentages and 
all of the, the, the lack of shots that they allow. I mean, no errors on the entire season, the mistakes that lead directly to an opponent's shot. They're one of three teams without any errors, LAFC and the Philadelphia Union. Mm. St. Louis has four of those kinds of errors. So this is a team that if you're Nico Joachini and you're trying to have one of those push points or Celio Pompeu, Tomas Ostrak, whoever, Rasmus Alm, you have a push point and you're trying to force a high turnover, which St. Louis is always doing. That's a battle right there to watch. See if we can ever be successful in causing a turnover, especially in our attacking third and immediately getting a shot off because so far Nashville has kept every team, every opportunity from doing that. Very interesting. Mm. Matt, I'm really curious to talk about these green cards. I'm not studied up on it, so you guys are going to have to lead the way on this one. I'm curious. It, yeah, no, nothing really in-depth, but I... So uh, the conversation this week in the league is Lucho Acosta is nearing his citizenship for the United States mm-hmm. and facilitated by FC Cincinnati, and he'll be an immediate candidate for the USMNT pool. And not that he'll be an immediate call-up or an immediate use in any kind of like high-level, high-caliber tournament, but... That same January camp that Stu alluded to for Jack Mayer could very well happen. And that whole conversation of citizenship had me thinking about our green card conversation from City 2 last year of you bring players in. The, the idea is that with MLS teams, you get eight international roster slots every season and it resets every year. So if you have more than eight international players, meaning they're not a U.S. citizen, they don't have a green card then you have to acquire additional international roster slots if you want to keep those players signed and roster those players. Whether it's trading GAM to another team, that's where you see those off-season moves of $250,000 a GAM for an international roster slot. That's why those happen so regularly, because teams go into off-seasons with 9, 10, 11 international players, and they need to get more roster slots so that they can actually play them. So my question today to Bradley Carnell in the press conference was, are you underway with the green card process or is that nearing its conclusion for any single player? And in typical fashion, the head coach would do, he deferred to his sporting director. <laughs> have to ask Lutz those questions. Okay, let's ask Lutz those questions. But he did offer that a little hint that when you bring players in so early, it affords you an opportunity to start that kind of process. And he didn't name names, but the fact that he even alluded to that tells me that players like Roman Berkey, players like Klaus, Ostrak, who, who am I missing here? Even maybe even Joachim Nilsson. I wonder if Leuven, Selmer does Pedro. Leuven have a cap? Selmer Pedro, Pedro Leuven. So the first one that came was Berkey. Do you remember who came second? Klaus was in... Was it Klaus? Klaus was early. He, was okay. the, he might have been the second one because I remember the, the airport celebration for Berkey... Right. And I remember there was a question of whether one was being organized for Klaus. So I think those were the first two. Okay, so maybe Klaus was second. Yeah, so maybe those two. Uh, but yeah, he really gave a, a hint that there could be a couple that could be close to um, getting done. Uh, and Matt, correct me if I'm wrong, some of those international slots we got are only for 2023, right? Oh, they're all for, yeah. Every time you trade for an international roster yeah. slot, it's only good for the year you trade it. So okay. with, uh, we, we currently have, we currently have 10 international players rostered. We have 11 international slots for the year. And Max Schneider is on loan to city two 
freeing up an additional international slot. So we technically right now for 2023 have two international slots available as long as Schneider remains on loan. But we have 10 players rostered and we only have eight slots every year. So Santi, that those two players, let's look at just those two players. So Roman Berkey is currently signed through 2025. And so if we can convert him to a green card status this year, then he won't take up an international roster slot for 24 and 25. Right. Yo, uh, Joao Klaus is signed also through 2025. So we free up a slot for him. Suddenly we're down to eight players rostered that, and, and that's just that are rostered right now. You know, that we could, there could be more players like Isak Jensen or Edu Leuven, Selmer Pedro, any of those guys. And they're all, most of these guys are on long-term contracts. So, if we could get every single player who was brought in early for City 2 and that saw time at the beginning of the season for City 2, if we can get all of those players converted to green cards, they're all signed to multi-year contracts. That would be such a huge boon for our flexibility that we could do for next year and the year after. Get it done. And that, that's the green card spiel because I brought it up today and <laughs> I thought... It's been a while since we've talked about it, Phil. We talked about it a few times last year, but yeah. I feel that it's just a whole new climate, and a lot of people might not remember those kinds of nuances that are kind of living in the background of this whole thing. Yeah, we, we were hoping that some of this will materialize before the beginning of the season or mm. even, like, early in the season, I and know. then you already had, like, that Charlotte rule, and maybe some yeah, of these guys... Gonna, uh, that's exactly what I was going to say, is that... international. <laughs> Last year, our assumption was that the roster lock date, which is the day before the first day of the year, you have to have your international slot set. Everything cannot change for the duration of the season after that. And then Charlotte goes and three months into the season last year, converts a player. <laughs> and you find out that, oh, I guess they let maybe expansion teams off the hook, if not everyone else, because that's a pretty cut and dry rule that's listed in the roster rules. Unbelievable. Well, I think... Thought we might get into the national team, but actually we've filled up 30 minutes. Uh, but I am very distracted. I'm watching this national team game, the CONCACAF Nations you, League. Did you see the story that I was alluding to before I went into my yeah. Piles diatribe? Yeah. I'm scared to mention it. Stuart, I, you should mention it. What do you think? It, it's, well, before yeah, he says it was, that, it's, it's being reported by The Athletic. So oh, it's real for no, sure, right? Yeah, it's happening. Um, Pablo Maurer was, uh, I think, the one who broke the story. Mm -hmm. So the story, as uh, some people know by now, um, is uh, Greg Berhalter will be back as the U.S. men's national team coach. He turned down a job with Club America, um, which hmm. maybe was the wrong choice, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> bigger club, but um, he's a national team man. Mm. So um, we'll we'll see how that, that shakes out with Geo. Ah. That's going to be one of the main stories. Oh, um, it'll be okay. But I was getting some flashbacks uh, in a bad way, Matt, when you were talking about you had hinted about the Burr-Halter news, and then you went into talking about Lovitz, who is, oh. uh, had some very, very rough matches yeah. under Burr-Halter with the U.S. men's national team. So... Yeah, maybe that was just a, a Freudian, Freudian um, move there, transition <laughs> into what I was talking about. Yeah, it's uh, well, they have guys like Willis should have gotten some call-ups yeah. um, at some point by now. 
Uh, Lovett's got too many call-ups. Shaq Moore is probably ready to be called up again. Um, and, of course, Jack should be called up soon as well. But I'm sure people have very, very strong opinions about Burhalter, but um, I just feel numb. Hmm. You guys want to talk about it a little or before we go, or you want to kind of leave it at that for the night? I, I mean, it, it's weird to me. And I think I've saw, I think I saw 12 tweet this. Like if you, this is who you're going to go with, why wait so long? Why, why go through the hoops of hiring an outside uh, consultant to look for a head coach? Why go through two big tournaments, two, co- two big continental tournaments without him? And when you could use this time, which you could argue is valuable or not because we don't have to qualify for the world cup. You could still use it as more learning, more growing, more gelling and, and just more familiarity because you want to, you just want as much positivity. You want as much familiarity, as much cohesion as possible going into 26. And that started last fall, you know, when we were bounced from the world cup, I, I think the going as far as we did, the, the quarterfinals was still something to build off of now. And maybe we'll just look back at these last six months or so with just as, as a blip on the radar. And, and maybe we'll move past the Reina drama and maybe <laughs> we'll pick up where we kind of left off without any kind of questions of does he have the locker room or does he not? And if all of those shake out, by six months from now, by four months from now, we could be in a very different, very positive place for the U.S. national team. So we, to that point of two national, big national tournaments, they haven't happened yet. He'll be in charge of the squad for both those, correct? Nations League and Gold Cup? I just looked at my TV and I don't see him on the sidelines right. for the Nations League match. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> but assuming he takes over at least for gold cup i would assume yes right why would you hold him back at all if you're if you're gonna announce Mm. him unless you really like bj callahan you know what i'm saying what's the point (laughs) i'm kidding (laughs) but will he risk uh and this is from an outsider standpoint will he risk coming for a gold cup with a team he didn't he didn't choose like would that be a risk for him no because to be honest like i assume i forgot i'm blanking on the previous coaches interim coach's name but him and bj are like doing the hudson. same thing yeah anthony hudson. Hudson. Anthony hudson anthony hudson uh, they're doing the same thing as him i think they're all of the same mind i think they all mm. more or less get some kind of a vote on who who goes and then i think greg gets the final vote but you know that gold cup roster is is fine you know it's it's a bunch of mlsers it's i think he's going to be perfectly happy with it's, it it's legitimately an a and b team like yeah. th- there there's very little questions on the individual spots because it's it's you're either on the nations league roster or then you if you didn't make that then you made the gold cup roster and so from a perspective of picking the players, most of the players that I see on Nations League minus Balogun are Burhalter picks for the A-team. So I think the best thing about this is that it's over. Like they waited way too long when they hired yeah. Greg Burhalter the first time and we wasted so much time. And 
not only wasted time with like trying to choose him, but like boy, he took a long time to figure out his lineup and you know the most frustrating parts of Burhalter to me were the beginning phases where he was trying to possess the ball and play pretty and what he ended up with at the World Cup was like mostly the right guys. I had no complaints. I think he played mostly the right way in the World Cup. Um, and so I don't think he'll do a terrible job. I would have been interested to see if we could have gotten someone like really high end, whether they would have done better or not. I don't even know if they would have. Uh, but I just I'm hoping, I guess if I have like rose colored glasses on this wasted time between when he was let go and when he was rehired, hopefully they were going for big names and they didn't work out. And they decided that Berhalter was the next best thing. Like that's the only reason I think any of this makes sense. So, but it's U.S. soccer. So, like my God, I'm not giving him the benefit of the doubt. I'm sorry. I I, I am confident in what he can get out of the players on the field, but it's going to be a bit before I'm comfortable with the off the field drama affecting everything, because there's going to be quotes that come out from the Reina camp. You know there are. Like mm-hmm. we're not going to get by that. So I want to move past all of that as quick as possible. Like I think, yep. I think he's going to figure it out with with the the roster he's going to put together, and and he's going to get familiar with the cycle. All of that's going to work itself out on the field. And I don't mind the style of play that he ended up with. Phil, to your point, he took way too long to figure it out. Hmm. But I'm fine with that. I just don't want all this off the field stuff to impact uh, what the players carry into the games mentally. Stuart, you're going to say something. Yeah, I mean, personally, I would not have called up Geo for, honestly, it sounds harsh, but 18 months. Um, (laughs) The family involvement, I think it was a situation where you don't want to put, even if it was a different coach, different manager, you don't want them starting off with that drama on there. Let him settle in, uh, get familiar, comfortable with the whole roster, and then re-invite a guy in. Uh, Nations League, I'm not worried gold cup not worried about it the whole thing is building toward 2026 and you want to bring geo back in but you want to bring geo back in on your terms for 2026 get the most out of him by then or you know 2024 for the uh copa america um Mm. so i that's i wouldn't have even called him up for this window but they did and i'm sure he's going to do well but yeah like matt said I don't think anyone's looking forward to hearing anything from the Reina camp, the adults, not uh, Gio, who's Mm -hmm. also an adult, but Claudio, especially. I I think the sooner they just shut up, the better, (laughs) to be honest. They they lost all the goodwill they had earned for years and years, and um, they came out of the World Cup looking worse than, I think, anyone could have ever imagined yeah and i think that was i think everything's mostly been worked out like i think the there were a couple of problems like i think burhalter made a massive misstep and i think he owned up to it and i don't think his response i don't know how much more you could ask for from a guy he stood up and held his hand up and said i messed this up bad and and i think he's the kind of guy that won't do that again i think he's probably learned from it um, I'm the kind, I, I'm good to let that go. And I truly don't think, I think this like hand slap that Reina got was what was needed and he got it. And I think it was over. In fact, there was this press conference, uh, the other week 
with Pulisic and they asked about it and they're like, what about the Reynas? Do you think this is going to happen? Do they need to instill rules or things with parents? He's, and you see his face just fall. Like we're like, almost like he was saying, we're past this. Stop bringing it up. It's over. And even one part of his question was like, I think it's self-explanatory that no, no parents are going to get involved in the future. You know, like you guys are ridiculous. This got blown way out of proportion. So anyway, I, I think it's going to be fine. I think Berhalter's learned from his one mistake. I think Reyna, I hope, has learned and, and will, you know, be good going forward. I think he will. Um, yeah, I think I think it's all in our past. I just want to move forward. And now that it, he's in, right, Berhalter's in. Now it's just like we go, right? USA, let's go. We're, we're fans again, and we have no choice but to, but to root for it, right? That's right. <laughs> I'm pretty rosy I mean, about USA. So yeah, no. <laughs> I'm yeah, more no. so than my club, to be honest. For the, for the three of us uh, that, that are, you know, USMNT fans, it's we nothing but get in line. And, you know, now a few minutes later, ESPN Jeff Carlisle is is seconding confirming it so it's mm. it's done yeah. yeah Paul Tenorio confirmed as well there you yeah. go Pablo Paul Jeff it's happening I'll talk way too long so I'm not going to say anything else I think we should call it there boys it was really fun I'm glad we got to talk about USA a little bit this game I'm enjoying it and I can't wait to get to watching it full-fledged all my attention given to it with an, another beer everybody have a good night enjoy the game go city right go city